Hello and welcome to episode two of the ITK show. I am the ITK. Um, this is, of course, your weekly social commentary podcast or social commentary show on everything concerning Nigerian politics and Nigerian culture, of course. Apologies for the delay in uploading this um, this episode. Um, new episodes are supposed to come out every Friday, every Saturday, sorry, every Saturday, every Saturday. A new episode of the ITK show is gonna come out. Um, I've been having some technical issues, that's why I couldn't record this episode on time. But yeah, um, I don't, I'm not sure if there's a lot or there's, on paper there's a lot to get into, but it's all kind of um, revolving around one issue. But uh, yeah, let's 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 get into the issues today. We're going to be taking a look at like um, obviously still reviewing President Buhari's um, administration for the past four years. Um, interesting to note. I think it's been like three weeks since he's been inaugurated, and a cabinet has not yet been formed. A federal cabinet. And we'll be we'll be really discussing that in a bit. Um, we're also going to be taking a look at the insecurity, um, and you know, there's been a lot of rhetoric, there's been a lot of talk, and obviously, um, things are still happening. People are still dying. Obviously, um, attacks are still happening from various groups. So we'll be taking a look at some analysis on what's going on there. And then, um, yeah, Aisha Buhari and her, you know, the new opposition, basically, talking about also um, PDP's, what's it called, um, last stand with an INEX service. So um, starting off with, of course, President Buhari um, reviewing security, and you know the impact President Buhari has had on security in or lack thereof in Nigeria. I remember um, during the 2015 campaigns, um, a come a a what's it called, like a main campaign agenda of the president was security, and it was in fact his main selling point, considering that his most uh, extensive background is in the military being a retired general. So a lot of people had faith in, you know, his ability to uh, discharge, um, maybe discipline or bring a new tactic into the way we were facing, um, you know, Boko Haram. Boko Haram being the prevalent security challenge we had back in 2014, 2015, just as we were gearing up for elections. So a lot of people voted for President Buhari because of security. A lot of people, um, you know, give him his pedigree because of his background in security. So four years removed, um, we're still having sporadic Boko Haram attacks. We're seeing, you know, uh, banditry, and and ethnic and communal violence take new dimensions and of course um 
what's disappointing or not I not even I'm I'm not even trying to give an opinion yet, but what is uh interesting to watch is that there is little to no communication. We are not updated as Nigerians as to the exact situation. For example, with Boko Haram, um, the government insists that it's a tactical defeat. And for the longest time had kind of said, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, that the rem- the remnants of Boko Haram were still, they were only concentrated in Sambisa Forest. Um, obviously, something, information like how they were going to raid Sambisa Forest would be too sensitive to just reveal to the public. However, it's it's been like two or three years since that was the main narrative and there is no update. We're seeing issues like uh, f- this so-called Fulani herdsman thing. Um, even speaking of that on the international front, we had um, I was seeing reports of a Fulani militia attack in Dongo in Dong Dongon, Mali. Um, of course, um, I don't know if some of you guys are familiar with Mali. You remember that back in 2015, 2014, they had their own issues with like a. a a breakout Islamist group that took over like half of the country and renamed it like the Republic of Azawad. And it um, it took the intervention of the French to really decimate those terrorists. But if we're seeing something like an armed Fulani militia attack happening in a, in a country like Mali and the casualty being 150 people and these being reprisal attacks for, for another killing that happened in March, um, perhaps it means that there is more of a, a inter, uh, truly international or regional um, um, problem. Because if it's happening in Mali, we're having Fulani militia in Mali and we're having it in Nigeria, you know that these people are nomads. So why are they why are they behaving in this way? I know that um, the unpopular, the popular narrative now is just to kind of condemn these people like, oh, they're, they're trying to take over land or some shit. But for these people to be, for this to be happening, first of all, I'm tempted to say that this might be still a fallout from, you know, what happened in Libya and a lot of the instability in North Africa, which a lot of comment, a lot of commentary and a lot of analysis analysis fails to kind of uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that what happens in North Africa also has a direct effect on Western Africa and the rest of Sub-Saharan Africa because. Um, for example, Mali is very connected with like countries like Mauritania and obviously, you know, spill over, spill over to all the other countries in North Africa. So I remember that coming into office, President Buhari was very keen on the Lake Chad Basin Commission. Um, 
in his words, he believes that the development of the Lake Chad area will help alleviate some of the security problems, which I agree with him. Uh, security and the economy are directly linked. And the fact that these are still the two pressing issues um, is, is definitely not just a challenge for President Buhari, it's also, it's also to his detriment. And why I say it's to his detriment, if you, if, you, if you have three skill sets, supposedly, and you go into a fight, let's say your skill sets are, um, you, you, okay, this sounded very good on paper, but when it comes to actually giving three skill sets, you see, yeah, you have to, you have to consider the three things you're very good at. So let's say it's like MMA and you have a very good right hook and you know, you can, you can, um, you can do a very good spin kick and then your, your finishing move is some like sharpshooter where you twist the guy's leg around your leg and then you turn him around. Niggas that watch um, wrestling will understand what I'm saying. If you don't, I'm sorry, but it still applies. So you're, you're, you're saying these are your three skill sets as a professional fighter and you get into the ring and you throw your right hook, it's blocked. You, you do your spin kick some, the your opponent catches your leg mid-air and just flings you around like Thor flung, like a Hulk flung fucking Loki in Avengers. If those two skill sets are failing, then you're not standing on anything. You're standing on one leg and standing on one leg, as anybody would know, with time you just succumb to weakness. So if we're still having security issues, they're taking a new dimension. And uh, speaking of taking a new dimension, there was one analysis I saw earlier, um, earlier in the week on channels. I always forget this security guy's um, name, but I think he's a retired captain. And uh, basically he was saying something which I had long believed, which is the security agencies are fatigued meaning the people on the front line are, have been on the front line for so long and it's true they're, and like he said they're only human they can only do the rinse repeat so for so long before not only do you just be, be on auto, autopilot you're not really there's no energy and like he like he pointed out like the security agencies are scattered around Nigeria, and not even to say security agencies, the security agents in Nigeria, um, the military is basically the only functioning arm, the only like robust and sustainable arm of, you know, uh, our security apparatus. And it's not without a mistake, like the military was governing Nigeria for what, three decades and many would be, say that they deliberately you know handicapped agencies like the police because some of these conflicts some of these attacks um should not be happening like you also have instances where they go and ransack actual police stations like our police force should be respected it should be equipped and these are things that are basic and fundamental to any society and uh surely someone who is a retired general and who campaigned on these things would be would be feeling a bit of shame 
in still having to run these same narratives four years later, we're still saying the same thing. And uh, it really makes you concerned as a young person what's going to happen because the same uh, older generation that speaks of a better Nigeria just keeps keeping the country in the same place or just gradually deteriorating the situation. So on the security, obviously, new fronts, there are new flashpoints happening. Um, the government seems rigid in only pursuing one method or at least to the observer, it's only pursuing one method and one avenue of securing Nigeria. There is nothing, it doesn't seem like there, there are some innovative measures like state, that states take. For example, like uh, I know that in Kano State, they have this kind of like hijab system where if, if you're a foreigner, they can, you, you sort of stand out because there's a, kind of uniform per area in Kano for like hijab because you know people the Boko Haram guys used to send um, used to strap bombs to women who were in hijabs and just send them into like marketplaces so yeah um, I definitely think that the things like the Fulani herdsmen and banditry it's more of a regional issue it's more of an ECOWAS issue and ECOWAS seems dead. AU is run by the, a dictator in the Egyptian president. Um, is it Abdel Fattah al-Sisi? So like, it's looking very gloomy. It's looking very gloomy. We cannot just secure our borders on our own because we kind of have open borders. And obviously we do not want to start the rhetoric of let's close the borders but there needs to be a, a an intercontinental emergency security meeting and there needs to be there needs to be a coordinated um, you know you know a coordinated look at what's going on in with security especially in West Africa from that Mali to here in Nigeria because this entire region is unstable and taking a look quickly again at you know the kind of international um, polity and what's happening with our neighbors in Cameroon in southern Cameroon um, we're still seeing a crackdown on like southern Cameroonians like there's an internet blackout and it's really concerning that hey this is going on right next door um, because obviously any instability in our neighbors directly affects us B um, you know, there's a, this is a new trend of free speech crackdowns. It's just one form of free speech crackdown that is becoming prevalent in Africa, shutting down the internet, harassing and misconstruing what journalists and commentarians are saying, just in an effort to stifle democracy and just in an effort to keep Africans kind of like, a, what's it called, in the dark. And that's why like, I feel like all of us have a responsibility, especially considering that South Cameroon is our neighbor, man. Anything, if, if God forbid there is a massive instability, it is going to directly affect us. So um, I'm keeping an eye on what's going on in Cameroon and we'll obviously be updating you guys as time goes on.
So, um, what's next? What's next? What's next? New National Assembly leadership. Um, so, obviously, there's a new Senate or president or president of the Senate in Ahmed Lawan. Um, I think you, most of you would remember that he also contested for the NAS, um, the Senate um, leadership back in 2015 against Saraki. Saraki won then. Um, this time he won. It was like pretty bipartisan, as they like to say. I feel like the Senate is just like one big brotherhood, and like they just occasionally stage. Um, just occasionally stage all these like public demonstrations if it, if you could call them that of like them not getting along good but it's just one big brotherhood and they all understand like power rotation i'm just speculating here by the way so um we also have a new speaker of the house of representatives uh femi i can never pronounce his last name properly but i'll try bajag biamila okay that's a long ass name um, so this is the A-team in, in terms of like leadership. This is what APC wanted. This is, these are the people APC said like they have to be both Senate president and Speaker of House respectively. Uh, maybe we'll take a look at Saraki's leadership some other time. But I do know that, uh, you know, Saraki's victory was very interesting, and the way he handled Nas was also interesting. What's, um, there's really nothing yet to say in terms of direction. I think both guys are still in the celebratory mood. I saw a video on the timeline earlier today of like, uh, what's his name? The Speaker of um, the House of Representatives, like doing his whole, you know, welcome tour or whatever tour as the new, you know, levels have changed now. So he has to, oh damn, that means Siri Leary should have more light. <laughs> Anyway, that's maybe a tall dream. But I'm interested to see what the direction of the National Assembly would be. Um, I listened to Ahmed Lawal's, you know, first speech, or was it acceptance speech or introductory speech? And um, I have to say I liked a lot of what he was saying. He um, reiterated the focus on security. Um, he talked about examining mental health and unemployment. These are the standard things you would expect, um, you know, new leadership to be focused on and concerned about. So I'm hoping that they can deliver on that. I am also hoping that they, just because they are, you know, it's an APCA team, they will still be able to check um the the executive they will still be able to implement innovative policies i think that innovative policies will help drive um will help drive um growth and development and progress in nigeria a lot more than just like you know trying to stifle people's freedoms so Obviously, we'll keep an eye out on NAS and update weekly. Um, I think this will kind of be the second to last thing. Obviously, Aisha Buhari, 
the new opposition. I think it's safe to say that we don't have an opposition in Nigeria. And all of these things come together. You need a vibrant opposition. You need a, 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 an up-to-the-task executive. And we've been failed so far in both fields the past four years. You need a robust, um, free, and you know, um, honest media, which we've also been deprived of. The, the, there's, there's like one media titan, and then everybody else is just f um, kind of scurrying around for clickbait. Um, and it really, it really affects how fast we progress as a nation. But Aisha Bahari, you know, she takes a very interesting stand in terms of when she chooses to oppose her husband. Um, this time it was more, it's, it's, it's obviously partisan. She only really does these kind of public disses. I don't really think they're diss, but they're kind of like a, I don't really agree with you, and I don't really know how else to say it. I don't have maybe, I don't agree with you, and maybe I want my conscience to be clear. That's if I'm considering that, you know, she, that's considering the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, she's just like doing this for her own political image, which at the end of the day, like nothing spoiled. Like if she wants to run for office tomorrow, she will give us her own credentials. But this time she like tweeted some video of um, Ayurub, Ayo Oyalowo. Most of you will know him as Ayurub on Twitter. He's like pretty popular and like, I think he's an APC guy. Like he, not I think he is an APC guy. And that's kind of my problem with like picking camps. Um, and even with um, commentary, like Ayurub back in the day used to provide like some pretty, you know, vibrant and intriguing analysis of what's going on in Nigeria. And I think that the goal of a commentarian should not be, and I'm not speaking on him personally, whatever he chooses to do is his business, but the goal of the of a commentarian should not be, I am saying all these things so that I can get into office. It is to say all these things as a check. But in Nigeria, it seems like people just um, start commentary in the hopes of, getting appointed into office. People are just in opposition so that they get noticed by the people in government, then they can take office. As for Ayurub's thing, he was complaining about like, you know, people being from, who campaigned for change and not being part of like the actual, you know, team. And it's like, first of all, this is a party issue. So you can't really come and cry to the public because you're not going to get any sentiment there. It's a party issue. And when you guys were canvassing for votes and campaigning for votes, why didn't you state explicitly as one of your terms being that, you know, there would be a certain quota that would need to be filled by all arms of government, you know, and ensure that you're able to hold them to it. If you didn't do that, obviously, like, why would the politicians just be, you know, like, it's politics, it's a game of intrigues and all of that. And I don't think holding a press conference and coming to say this, you're not getting any sympathy from the Nigerian people because you're the, you're the party guy. 
you're not the neutral guy that's saying this. You're saying this from a party perspective. So it's a self, it's Nigerians are going to see this as a selfish thing. Um, I honestly think like if they knew that work, if they knew the power they had in the votes that they were canvassing for in the influence that they had, nothing stopped them from setting certain criterias and certain quotas as part of like their negotiations. And if it falls through, it falls through. You picked that house. So you will have to assert your um solve your problems internally. And that's why I'm kind of happy. Like I'm not a PDP guy. I'm not an APC guy. You can see the reality for what it is and nobody will hurt you in the long run. But if you just hedge a tent and then they just use you and dump you and you're coming back to say, ah, oh, they didn't give us appointments so we can pay for them. It's like, okay, they've not given us light to, and we voted for them to give us light. Like, you don't want to play that game with Nigerians. So you guys should solve your party problems. Senate and President Buhari, I hope you guys are hearing your you know, people that worked hard for them to get into office. Let's see what happens. I think that um, President Buhari is not the type of guy to appoint young people into his cabinet or women into his cabinet. So I'm not really, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really looking forward to his appointments because at this point in time, there are no appointments. And this says a lot about a party who, you know, in 2015 was complaining about the slow process of handover because they didn't have the handover notes in time. And like, how all of this slows down governance and when they come into office, they're going to ensure that they hit the ground running. Well, it's four years later and we're still complaining about the same issues. Almost forgot to talk about uh, Emir, the Emir Sanusi debacle, obviously talking about uh, obviously talking about the mayor of Kano, um, the emir of Kano, traditional ruler of Kano. So those of you who are not familiar, so I think earlier this year, or is it late last year? I don't know. At some point, Sha, the governor of Kano State woke up one day and was like, you know what, this Sanusi guy, fuck you. And then was like, I'm going to create new emirates so that there will be new emirs and basically water down the, the, the value and importance of the emir of Kano. And uh, emir of Kano, I think, is the second foremost like traditional title after the sultan of Sokoto. And like, you know, the, I don't know, is it Islamic? Like the Arewa traditional rulers thing, there's like a hierarchy. The Sultan of Sokoto is first, then the Emir of Kano is like second. Obviously, like Kano is a big city. So, um, and there's a rich heritage and culture and symbolism and importance behind the, the, the Kano Emirate. So, seeing the, the Kano government behaving this way, I thought it was petty. So, fast forward to, um, I think he, the emirs were emir of Rano. There were like four new emirs he instituted. Basically, the courts in Kano stopped it. They basically told the governor to maintain the status quo that he should not institute any new emirs or any new emirates, and it should just remain like the emir of Kano. 
I think that uh, obviously this was what was going to happen. I also had speculated that if it would ever come to the case of like there being new emirs, like they would just like pledge allegiance, pledge allegiance to Emir Sanusi. I don't think that the guys are going to pledge allegiance to him now. I thought about it again, and I think that Nigerians in general are just too power hungry to do that. Um, I mean, public officials don't even resign when they're caught in scandals. But for this Emir Sanusi debacle, I don't think, you know, Sanusi is not new to uh, this kind of vendetta. If you remember during the Good Luck Jonathan days, he basically had his passport seized and was under siege. He had to seek the assistance of Erufai, um to kind of, you know, just hide out and camp out and face all the firestorm that was going on there. And, you know, even in becoming Emir, something that was that is his childhood dream well, was now since he is it, so it's no longer a dream. But becoming Emir is like the height of, according to him, what he wanted to achieve in life. And even facing troubles in that, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. Um, I just kind of wish that Emir Sanusi would ditch this whole I'm a traditional ruler guy and just come into politics formally. And, you know, even though it's no guarantee that he will certainly make a good president. I don't know anymore, because I used to think Buhari would make a good president. But even if that isn't the case, like it would just be interesting to see him campaign and to see the kind of tone he would take, even on like the economy. Um, he, he had been very vocal in opposition against President Buhari's um, policy. A lot of analysts pointing out that President Buhari is seemingly silent on this issue. Um, I think this is part of President Buhari's uh, body language politics of, I will not get involved. I will let the states and national assembly do what they want. So, I don't know, man. I just hope that, uh, I think that, I don't think they will really, it would take a lot of balls for Ganduje to really follow through completely with this because he would be changing the entire dynamics of a lot. And I know that there will be a few people in opposition. At the same time, though, Emir Samnusi is a more progressive force and some people might be uncomfortable with that. He, he has been very vocal about things like girl-child education, particularly in the North, which is still a prevalent issue. Um, and, you know, certain elements might not like that kind of progressive tone. But nevertheless, I think that someone like Emir Sanusi is important in, in traditional roles like that. Because like I just said, if someone like him is facing resistance, maybe he's the only person who can remedy the situation. Because if people are still cynical or uh, conservative about these things, you know, he can help push change better than maybe an elected official because of just like the symbolism of what an emir of Kano represents. So um, re slightly related news, I heard the NSA Monguno talking about Almajiri and working with uh, the states to proscribe Almajiri. We'll see how that works. It's a deep, deep cultural issue. 
and something that does need to be outlawed, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens as with everything in Nigeria. But on that note, I think I'm going to close the show today. Sorry if it's a bit briefer. Um, there's a lot that I also will just carry over on um, this Saturday's episode. So a reminder that new episodes come out every Saturday. So check, um, you know, Apple Podcasts, SoundClouds, and Audio Mac. So yeah, um, the ITK show is now available on Audio Mac. Some of you guys might be listening on Audio Mac. Please subscribe so that you're updated as to when a new episode drops. Um, we're also on Stitcher. We're on every podcast platform. Um, I'm also going to, you know, in the next couple of episodes, really work on um, videos, finally, for the podcast. So um, look out for the ITK show on YouTube. But yeah, um, remember that change begins with you. We are all responsible for ensuring we have a better society. And um, yeah, I'll see. Talking, I'll talk to you guys on Saturday. I am the ITK. Have a blessed week.